Washington football team fans, what is up and welcome back to another episode of the Bleeding BNG Podcast, episode 53. So let's get to the nitty gritty first. If you're checking this out on YouTube, be sure to comment, like, and subscribe. We're seeing our views jump up and we're loving the interaction that we've been making with the Washington Commander fans and we appreciate all the love and support that we've been getting. If you're checking this out audio only, we're available on all podcast platforms. But if you're checking us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify specifically, please rate and review. Please rate and review so we can finesse these algorithms so we can get the Bleeding B&G podcast to be the number one thing that pops up on your content. We want to be your number one content hub for everything Washington Commanders. So now that that now that that's out of the way, excuse me. Let's get to episode fifty three of the Bleeding BNG podcast. We're going to call this episode "Commanding the Draft." Commanding the Draft, and to give you a timestamp, like I do for all of my episodes, today is Sunday, May first, and it's about ten o'clock p.m. So today, in today's episode of Commanding the Draft, we're just going to be spending time analyzing and going over the Washington Commanders draft. Um, this is a wrap up. I've had about a day to sit over to ponder and go over some of my thoughts and how I feel about this draft. And I'm ready to share my thoughts with my amazing Washington Commanders community and fans. So gear up. We have an exciting, exciting episode to go through. Um, I don't want to keep you guys for too long. So I'm trying to push this information because it isn't a lot of information. I want to push this information out as precise and as efficiently as possible. So let's roll with it. Let's roll with it. So um, we, we spent a lot of time in our last episode, in episode 52, um, talking about Jahan Dotson and our reaction episode. So we're not going to spend too much time on Jahan Dotson. If you want to see our thoughts on the Jahan Dotson pick, um, you can go back and look at our uh, Jahan Dotson episode, like I said, in our episode 52. Um, we're not too mad at the pick. We're actually going to talk about it a little bit when we go over the draft. But let's go over the slew of names that the Washington Commanders selected um, over the course of the three-day draft period. So at round one at the pick 16, uh, they selected receiver Jahan Dotson out of Penn State University. Round two, pick 47, they selected defensive tackle Fedadrian Mathis, 6'4", uh, 310 pounds out of the University of Alabama. Uh, round three, they selected during, uh, Brian Robinson uh, with the 98th pick in the third round. He's a 6'2", 225-pound running back out of the University of Alabama. In round four with the 115th pick, they selected safety Percy Butler. He's 6 feet, 194 pounds out of the University of Louisiana. In the fifth round, at 144, they selected quarterback Sam Howe. Quarterback, yes, they did draft the quarterback. Quarterback Sam Howell out of the University of North Carolina. And we'll be sure to touch a lot on that uh, pick as well because that was a lot of buzz. A lot of people are calling that the steal of the draft. So we're going to be sure to give that a lot of great analysis um, over the course of this amazing episode. With the fifth pick, and with another fifth round pick, they were able to uh, pick with the 149th pick, tight end Cole Turner. He's 6'6", 250 pounds out of the University of Nevada. And then they had two seventh round picks. With the 230th pick, they were selected able to select guard Chris Paul. No, I'm not talking about basketball. He's an offensive guard out of the University of Tulsa. He's about 6'3", 323 pounds. And then they selected with their last pick, the 240th pick in the draft, um, cornerback Christopher Harris out of the Oklahoma State. He's about 6 feet and he's about 200 pounds. Um, so that's just the list of names. And now we're going to talk about our, you know, our overall synopsis 
our overall synopsis about how we feel about the draft. Um, so, like I said, we touched a little bit about the Jahan Dotson pick um, on our last episode. So, we're not going to get too much into the pick itself. But our overall synopsis of the draft will be will be reminisce, if not to exclude that. I don't want you guys as the Washington Commanders community. We're going to be stuck on, and I was stuck on it that night, looking at it as a Jahan Dotson versus a Jamison Williams and a Chris Olave thing. These guys are going to be tied together as long as, I mean, in the case of Washington Commander fans, at least, um, they're going to be tied together over the course of their careers, or at least as Jahan Dotson's um, career plays out, how long he's ever with um, the Washington Commanders. So um, don't look at it. I don't want you guys to look at it as, you know, Jahan Dotson versus those two guys i want you guys to look at it specifically as chris olave because he was taken with the 11th pick and jahan dotson versus brian robinson jr jahan um jahan dotson and brian robinson jr excuse me and safety perty butler versus chris olave because these were the three picks that were acquired um with the trade back out of the 11th that you know the new orleans saints jumped up to to select Chris Olave because, you know, Jahan Dotson, like I told you guys before, I don't think there's much of a margin if there's it big, if, if there is any much of a gap between those two, I don't think that the margin is big. I think that the difference between those guys is marginal between a guy like Jahan Dotson and Chris Olave. But when you acquire a guy like Brian Robinson Jr. as well as a safety like Percy Butler, who a lot of people seem like, feel like is a reach um, in the fourth round, but if you look at it, you acquire three players and then the drop-off between, you know, the two main pieces or the two main attractions of the two sides of the pick, I don't think that there's a big drop-off between those two. So acquiring two other pieces, I think that Washington, you know, personally, I think that they won the tra- uh, trade. But like I said, these guys, specifically Chris Olave and Jahan Dotson, they're going to be tied together over the course of their rest of their um, career, specifically over the Washington Commanders community. So that's something to look out for. Uh, but remember, guys, when you're looking at it, don't look at it as a one versus one. Trey, look at it as a Jahan Dotson, Brian Robinson Jr., and Percy Butler versus a Chris Olave trade. And I know a lot of people want to start adding other picks because we did trade um, back in the fourth round to acquire another fifth round pick. So they wanted to add like Cole Turner in the draft um, in the pick. But the reason I didn't include him in like this um, hypothetical trade package is because that trade back in the fourth round was acquired um, with our original fourth round pick. So that had nothing to do with the trade back and the picks that we acquired from the New Orleans Saints trading back from 11 so if you look at it in the scope of those three players against uh versus a guy like Chris Olave I think Washington won the trade but like I said it's too early to tell on any of these things guys it is way too early to tell on any of these things. Um, you know, it takes a couple of years to judge a draft. Um, so if you look back three years from now and look at the production um, from these three players, um, it's, it's going to be something to see. It's going to be something to see. So that's the touch. That's the, just a little bit that I'm going to touch on Jahan Dotson. Like I said, if you didn't see how I felt about the pick initially, go tap into our last episode, and I'm going to link it at the end of this one. So going into our pick 47 or our second round pick, we selected defensive tackle for Adrian Mathis from the University of Alabama, 6'4", 310 pounds, and this is a guy that, you know, I knew a little bit about, um, but then watching film and, you know, going over his draft profiles from a, a multiple draft analysts and things like that, everybody hails this guy as a run stuffer, but I'm going back and looking at his stats, this is a guy that had nine and a half sacks last year. 
So, I mean, this is a guy that everybody is showing him as, you know, this is a long-arm guy. He's a two-gapper, you know, coming from that University of Alabama system. So, the Alabama defensive tackle to Washington Pipeline continues with this pick. And speaking of that Alabama to um, Washington defensive tackle pipeline, one has to think what does this selection of Fidadrian Mathis mean for a guy like Deron Payne? I mean, I think it's it's not too much of a coincidence that, you know, Fidadrian Mathis was selected a couple days after Washington Commanders insider Ben Standen was saying that, you know, we weren't expected to give a guy like Deron Payne a contract extension like we are expected to give, like, or it has been reported that we um given Terry McLaurin or like we have gave um Jonathan Allen in years prior, like last year. Um, if you're following, if they're going down the similar career, uh, career paths or, you know, career timelines, excuse me, uh, Jonathan Allen, you know, reports were coming out towards OTAs and then the deal got done um, right before training camp. Um, but it's expected, according to Ben Stanton, it's not expected to have any extension reach with a guy like Deron Payne. So is this guy like Fidadrian Mathis, who we drafted with high draft capital? This is a top 50 pick who a lot of people think that we seem to reach on. Um, and I think this was just a pick based off, you know, uh, Martin Mayhew, Ron Rivera, and, you know, Marty Herney, you know, drafting based off need. This was a clear needs pick, but I think that this is one that's going to be, you know, pretty good um, in the long run um, because, like I said, I'm not opposed to drafting for need outside of round one. Outside of round one, like I've told you guys before, we're big best player available play, uh, guys over here at Bleeding B&G, but in the later rounds, uh, specifically in the mid rounds, I wouldn't want to do it in the second round, but I'm not opposed to it because we did become very weak in the snap of a finger over the course of this offseason losing guys like Tim Settle and Matt Ioannidis at the defensive tackle position. So, you know, you got to restart the stable. You got to restart the stable. And, you know, why not have do it, do it with a guy that's familiar? This is a guy that actually spent five years in college. Um, so, he actually played with De'Ron Payne his freshman year in college. Um, so, the, the irony in that is that he, you know, we might have actually drafted his replacement as well. Um, so, a guy like Fidadrian Mathis, be sure to look out. I think he's going to be productive. You know, a guy Guy like Matt Ioannidis, he's a guy that played 60% of snaps last year. So those snaps aren't nothing. Those snaps just aren't going to magically appear. And we don't seem to have anything at the defensive tackle position behind De'Ron Payne and Jonathan Allen. So I expect this guy to produce a lot. And I know a lot of people are talking about him being strictly a two-down player and just a run stuffer. But I think a guy with nine and a half sacks, I think that, he, you know, he started to flash tremendous potential as a pass rusher and somebody that can play in that, um, you know, on third down. I think that he can can play anywhere from the zero tech to the three tech all over the line. So this is somebody that's beneficial in a multiple front scheme like Washington tried to deploy last year. I know they were. Uh, I know our bases are four three, but we were deploying a three four at times, a five two. It, it was getting crazy at times. So if we want to stick with a scheme like that. Um, for Deidre Mathis, I think can be a good prospect, even if a lot of guys think that it was a reach. Um, with the 98th pick, we got our, our hammer, our sledgehammer, Brian Robinson out of the University of Alabama. This is a guy not typical to, to, to the rest of, you know, Alabama. We talk about Alabama's prospects and specifically running backs. We talk about how these guys have a lot of tread on their tires. But this is a guy that had to sit um, to the end um, of his career, basically. Coming from Tuscaloosa, um, you know, he had to sit behind the likes of Najee Harris. He had to sit behind the likes of, uh, I think, Derrick Henry his first year. Um, not Derrick Henry, excuse me. But he had to sit behind the likes of a slew of other Alabama running backs. And this is a guy that finally got his 
chance last year and took his chance and took 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 the baton and ran with it, um, running for thirteen hundred yards. And this is a guy that I think can have potential to be your workhorse back. And I know a lot of people, a lot of people don't like me saying that because I know a lot of people still have high hopes on Antonio Gibson. And while I still do, I think that this is a guy that you need to pair with a guy like Antonio Gibson. These are guys that have similar builds. They're both about six two, but he's just much more of a natural runner. This is a guy that's a one cut and go type back. Um, at 6'2", 225 pounds. I've never seen him over the course of this last year at Alabama. I never saw him fall forward or get tackled by the first guy. This is a sledgehammer type back, and this is a guy, as I mentioned, he doesn't have a lot of tread on his tires, so I expect him to do the same thing in the NFL. If you go back and look at the college playoff game against Cincinnati, he just took their manhood from one of the best defenses in college football. This, they, they ran the ball almost 30 times, and he got 200 yards just milking the clock away, churning and churning first downs. This is a guy, he's not he's not explosive. He's not the most explosive back. But in a system like this, this North uh, North Turner um, zone-like system, outside zone-like system, I think that this was a, a home run pick. And I know a lot of people talked about Everybody was bashing our, our, our day two picks. Bashing our Alabama guys, talking about, oh, we reach for these guys. Well, was it a reach when there weren't that many, too, too many good running backs in this draft? Was it a reach when there weren't that many good running backs in this draft? And then you're considering a guy like James Cook was off the board. I mean, if you go back, I don't think a guy like, until like Isaiah Spiller was the next um, drafted running back. So if this is a guy that was on your board, I actually think that we were blindsided by a guy like Nick Cross, who I think we liked a lot. He got drafted two picks before our uh, 98th selection by the Indianapolis Colts. I think we were blindsided, and this was the next um, player, the next, you know, highest player on your board. And this is a guy that, you know, is going to be able to replace uh just spare Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson is, you know, he led the league and he led the league in fumbles last year. Like despite the potential, despite all the potential that we want to think is there or that everybody likes to lead, lead us to believe, um, you know, the positional flex that we haven't really seen. He hasn't really he's a wide receiver, but he hasn't really been used in a passing game like we expected outside of a screenplay against Buffalo and things like that. Well, a guy like, you know, Brian Robinson Jr., this is a guy that didn't fumble last year you know, uh, or didn't fumble in his college career in over 500 carries. And like I say, he's he's a much more natural running back. And I think that, you know, this is giving us a one two punch at their running back stable with J.D. McKissick starting to become more of a just a strictly third down running back. You know, there were instances in the last two years where we had to use or we decided to use J.D. and, you know, a one back where we had to use him in a more traditional running back set. I don't think that those snaps are too far. Um, I think that those snaps are far and few between now with a guy like Brian Robinson Jr. This is a guy that's tremendous in pass protection. He doesn't mind to stick his nose in there. And like I said, he's just the most natural runner. Um, this allows you to, like, move Antonio Antonio Gibson around like we were expected or like we were sold um, when he was drafted to us in 2020. We were expecting him to be used like a Christian McCaffrey and things like that. Um, I know a lot of people in the Washington Commanders community believe that he can um, be utilized like a Debo Samuel. And while I am skeptical of, you know, that level type of play. I would love to see how he is in that um, using that role, which, you know, his receiver background. Um, Antonio Gibson is a guy that I don't necessarily want to compare him to his uh, Memphis days because I think he's put on a lot of weight since then, and he's clearly uh, considerably, considerably less explosive. But um, 
if he can if he can go back to those roots, you know, as it wasn't too far few um it wasn't that long ago, 2019. And this is a guy that did exude um or did possess 4-3 speed at one point. So, you know, pairing him with that, you know, hopefully he can get the lightning to a guy like Brian Robinson's Thunder. Scott Turner doesn't have an excuse. Uh, he has a slew of weapons in his stable um now. Um, in the fourth round, we were uh, selected Percy Butler. He's a safety from Louisiana, and just with this pe- um, with this pick is speed, 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 speed. Um, this is a guy I I really didn't know too much about. Um, so you know, in my mind, I automatically thought reach, but going back. A lot of draft analysts, you know, expected him to be drafted within that range or within a round. So I, I didn't think that that was too much of a reach considering, you know, the, the opinions of others and things like that. And going over the few clips and a few uh, little bit of film that I found. Guys, this guy's a burner. This guy, I, I, he might be the fastest, most rangiest um, safety in the draft. And this is a guy... Who I think that he gives you the positional vert, uh, positional flex that Ron looks for. This is a guy that can play in the slot. Uh, this is a guy. He's a special team demon. So I don't think that you know this prospects holds too well for a guy like Troy Apke. Just like I don't think that the unfortunately the Brian Robinson selections prospects hold up for um, well for a guy like Jared Patterson as well. Um, but going back to Percy Butler, this is a guy. He might be the best gunner in the draft, and that seems to be a theme with us drafting um, over the course of the last five years. Not even even with just this Ron Rivera um, regime. But over the course of like the last five years since Troy Apke was selected, since Terry McLaurin was selected, and now Percy Butler, everybody's talking about, we're drafting the best gunner in the draft, the fastest. And this is a guy that, unlike um, Troy Apke, this is a guy whose speed has shown up in coverage. I've seen him hard. If you go look back at the few few clips that you can find, I encourage you guys to glow on YouTube. Uh, it's a couple of clips. And a couple of clips that he has in two-minute film, he, he got about three or four clips of him running dudes down so it looks like this is just what he does this is just what he does so the speed is real this is a guy that ran a 4-3-6 um at the combine and this is a guy that you know it, there's a lot of potential there especially um playing at a single high roll this is a guy if we can remember um bobby mccain only signed a two-year deal with this and it's and essentially in reality a deal that we can get out of after next season so this is a guy that can essentially learn from bobby mccain over a year while contributing in special teams while also you know Hey, maybe having to step in in, in in a situation there or there because fourth round picks are still pretty high uh, draft capital that you expect to produce to, to an extent. Nothing crazy, but that you do expect those guys to produce to an extent. Um, so a guy like Percy Butler um, with the 113th pick, I wasn't too mad at. 4-3-6 speed um, with potential to be a, a damn good cover safety um, with that type of explosiveness and what that type of um, ball skills that he exuded um, at the University of Louisiana. The, the level of play does concern me a little bit, but the traits are there for sure. All right, with the 144th pick, the first uh, pick in the fifth round, was arguably my favorite pick, and a lot, I know it's a lot of you guys in the Washington Commanders community's favorite pick as well. And this is a pick of Sam Howe, quarterback Sam Howe, from the University of North Carolina. Um, this is a guy that, uh, it's quite simply, 365 days ago, this is a guy that a lot of people projected to be in the in the running for the first quarterback taken or the number one overall pick in this draft. So to get him 143 picks after that is amazing. And I can't really justify a 143 pick drop-off. I can't. 
I can't justify a guy like Bailey Zabby. I don't care what kind of production he gave you at, you know, Western Kentucky. I can't justify the Patriots giving selecting a guy like that like that over a guy like Sam Howell. This is a guy who like I said, he was the number he was projected to be the number one pick at one point with Spencer Ryler. And while I never thought that was gonna to come to a fruition, because while I think there are some physical limitations and you know, there are some physical limitations that, you know, let him allowed him to slip to the fifth round. This isn't a perfect prospect by any means. Guys, this isn't anybody this isn't a guy that belong that, that should have been on the board at at hundred and forty four. Just quite simply put it, this isn't a guy that shouldn't have been at the board on 144. Uh, the fall off wasn't 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 too great that you know he's gonna fall four rounds. And considering he lost three guys on his offensive line and he almost lost all of his weapons, he almost lost all of his weapons. The Army Brown included from his 2020 season where he set the ACC on fire. He set the ACC on fire, which had many people projecting him to be the first quarterback taken this year. The, the drop-off wasn't real when he was had, he had dudes that was dropping passes all over the field all game. It wasn't just one guy. North Carolina sucked this year. He was the best thing about North Carolina. Every game they won this year was because of him. Was because of him. And I love this pick. This is a tremendous pick with the 144th pick. And I don't want to hear, oh, oh, you know what happened with Jalen Hurts and Carson. I do not give a damn about what Carson feels with this selection. We got better at the quarterback position with this selection. I believe that Sam Howell is going to easily beat out Taylor Heineke in, in training camp over the course of now until training camp because he simply has the deep ball. He has the arm strength. He has the arm talent that Taylor Heineke just simply doesn't possess. And while I expect him to sit behind Carson Wentz over the course of this year, I think that this is a guy that maybe over the course of the next two years, he may have, he has the potential to step in and, and be your, your guy for years. For a couple of years. And be your stopgap until you potentially find your true franchise quarterback. If he's not that guy. Because like I said, he was projected to be the number one pick at one point. In a not too distant past. I, I, I love this pick. This is the still of the draft throughout the NFL. And this is the pick where I started to be like, alright Washington. Alright, y'all doing it. Y'all doing it. Y'all, y'all, alright. Y'all out, y'all done outdid yourselves on this one. And this is where the pick started to turn around because after that we started, I started to understand and I started to agree with our picks more and more and more. I don't care if this guy is going to come in and intimidate a guy like Carson Wentz. You you shouldn't mind that. I heard Coach Rivera had, had to check in and call uh, Carson before you making a selection. I, I that disturbs me a little bit because why are you doing that with a fifth round selection? If Carson is as good as he thinks he is, he shouldn't be worried about a guy like Sam Howell. But guess what? He should be with the talent that Sam Howell possesses. This is the guy that has arguably one of the best deep balls in the draft. I think he, I, in my opinion, he had the second best deep ball in the draft behind Malik Willis. And the stats showed it. Uh, look at his RPM numbers coming out of the combine and things like that. This is this is a home run pick. And this is a guy, he, he, he was the best rated fourth quarter quarterback in the entire draft class um, through PFF's college grading. This is a winner. Daniel Jeremiah tweeted that he had his uh, he had the best third and seven, third and long reel of any quarterback in his draft class. So, and that's where you win games, especially when you want to surround, you know, or want to base your team philosophy around strong defense. Third and third and long is essential. Moving those trains to give that defense a rest is essential. And to get the best quarterback in Daniel Jeremiah, who's been killing this draft coverage, to get the best quarterback in third and long, in his opinion, is big. 
This is the best pick of, of his entire draft class. No shade of Jahan Doxon or anything. This is the best value. This is the most amazing value, and this is a hell of a pick with the 144th pick. So moving on to pick 149, we got Carson Wentz a weapon, or maybe Sam Howell a weapon. In tight end, Cole Turner, he's 6'6", 250 pounds, out of University of Nevada. And this is a guy that is kind of the yin to John Bates' yang. And he's a little bit of Logan, Tur uh, Logan Thomas insurance. You know with a guy like Carson Wentz, you have to give him big, big targets. You know the inaccuracy is going to be there. You know the chance tanking is going to be there. Well, he's going to take some risk. And he loves his big targets. Look at Alshon Jeffrey. Look at Michael Pittman. And while we thought we were going to do that um, at the receiver position, potentially if Jake London was there at 11, we did it with a tight end. This is a tight end that has a basketball background. And while he wasn't the fastest running a 4-7-40, I, 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 the film that I've seen so far, I love the way that he uses his body in the red zone. He's a, end zone, he's a red zone nightmare. I don't expect much of him for, uh, in, in the blocking game despite his frame. But guess what? That's what you got John Bates for because he was one of the best blocking tight ends in the entire NFL as a rookie. That is not hyperbole. Go look back at John Bates' blocking numbers. He was one of the best blocking tight ends in the entire NFL last year as a rookie while giving you something in the, in the passing game. So I think the future is bright in the tight end room. I think that you. This is a. Um, I think that this might might be Logan Thomas's last year um, with the Commanders. You know, I know he did sign his contract extension last year, um, so he's going into his second year of that contract extension. I think it was a three-year deal, so it's one year. It's going to be one year um, remaining left on that deal. But this is a guy that's on the wrong side of forty. I mean, wrong side of thirty. Excuse me, coming off of an ACL injury, and I think that he has two young studs. Two young studs coming in behind him. I think that this is a guy that if Logan Thomas is um, missing the first month of the season, like he said uh, doctors expect him to. I know he said he's expecting to come back sooner than that. But if he does miss the first um, course of the uh, first month of the season or something like that, I believe that Cole Turner and John Bates can fill those shoes tremendously. Because like I said, I, get, I think they give you sk different skill sets. You can line up in the two-back system and you can have John Bates stay in the pass block while Cole Turner goes out on a route of things like that and vice versa just uh, you can split it Cole Turner out wide I, like I said earlier Scott Turner has his weapons Scott Turner doesn't have an excuse this year and I think that's the biggest thing coming out of this draft so going on to the seventh uh, round picks uh, guard Chris Paul um, I, and this no this is not basketball no we are not playing basketball this is a 6'3 323 pound um, guard I don't know much about Chris Paul Paul, but he had a 9.4 raw athletic score uh, for the offensive guard position out of the entire draft database. So that's amazing to see. And then Christopher Holmes, a cornerback out of Oklahoma State, who's about 6 feet, 200, um, 200 pounds. And I know a little bit about Christopher Holmes, you know, watching Big 12 football and things like that. Oh, um, this is a guy, he's physical at the cornerback position. Um, I think he's a little tight in his hips and things like that. His technique is a little refined, but he's an old prospect. It's 25. So I you know, a lot of teams weren't going to take a chance on that at the draft. So I think that's one of the reasons that he slipped all the way to pick 240. So this is just to go over an overall synopsis of this draft before we head on out of here. I think that, you know, the team, I think that the trend that the team was looking for with a lot of these players is that the team is physicality. Physicality. 
I know Martin Mayhew said it multiple times on his Friday press conference that, you know, they they got tougher on on Friday. And I think they got tougher over the course of the whole weekend. If you got if you look at the entire draft class, outside of a guy like Jahan Dotson and maybe a guy like Cole Turner, everybody else is uber physical for their position as a uh, as a draft prospect, including Sam Howell for the quarterback position. Sam Howell is a guy that had over 60 broken tackles um, um, this past season while running for 800 yards. So I talked about while I was giving a, a breakdown of his draft pick, I talked about everything with his with his um, with his passing and his his deep ball ability and his arm. This is a guy that ran for 800 yards, and I think that this is a knock on why he kind of fell because. You know, I don't think he's an elite athlete by any means. So this is a guy that ran 800 yards simply off sheer toughness, sheer breaking tackles. And I think that a lot of people aren't expecting that to translate to the NFL level. But guess what? That showed me on the other end of the spectrum that he did what he had to do for his team to win. He did whatever it took for his team to win week in and week out. Whether that be running, 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 breaking tackles, or throwing deep balls and throwing bombs. So this is a guy that can win any which way. And that's one of the other reasons why I'm excited about this Sam Howell pick is the versatility that he has used as well. I'm sorry. I just had to tough, uh, touch on that. But this team clearly got physical. Even with a guy like Fendadrian uh, Mathis. Well, I, nobody, while they said was this was a reach, nobody said this was a bad football player. And everybody said he was tremendous against the run. As we expect Alabama defensive tackles to be. The, the Brian Robinson as well. This is the guy that I I this I watching his film, I compared him to um, a guy like Chris Ivory, a physical runner. He runs a little upright, and I compared him to Chris Ivory because I don't want to give him the lofty expectations like Marshawn Lynch. But guess what? He runs with that bruising type style. He runs with that bruiser type style. Go back and watch his film. I never saw him get tackled by the first guy. Never saw him get tackled by an arm tackle. We got physical and more physical in that running back room. His is the guy that's not going to leave those expected yards um, or those yards that were blocked for that were left on the field that Antonio Gibson leaves, uh, that the Antonio Gibson left the last year. And I solely believe that. I strongly believe that. I strongly believe that. I strongly, I strongly believe that. So we got a lot tougher. Chris Paul is nasty from what I've seen. Chris Paul is nasty. Percy Butler will come in and stick you. He has some, he has some, a lot of his film and a lot of his highlights that I saw were special team highlights of him smacking dudes playing the gunner position. So we know he'll stick his nose in there. So we know he's physical. He's going to be an instant contributor on special teams. And I, I just love it. I love it. I love everything about this draft class. I'm not going to give it an A. I'm not going to give it any grade because I'm not in the business of doing that. But uh, these guys, these guys did a, did a lot, did very well in redeeming themselves after you know I was upset in the in the in the first round. Not because Jahan Dotson is a bad player by any means, but I just didn't want to pass on a guy like Jamison Williams. But these guys, you know. Hey, you can look at it, as, the, as I mentioned with the trade package with Chris Olave earlier, you can look at it with Jamison Williams as well. If these three guys in Jahan Dotson, Brian Robinson Jr., and Percy Hart, uh, Butler produce uh, to the level that we expect them to or we want them to, I don't care what, J- what Jamison Williams does. He, unless he's a 2,000-yard having a Cooper Cup-type season, he, he's not going to outproduce those three guys in total. He's not. He's not. My biggest question or one of the biggest things that I took away from this draft is that we didn't draft a a linebacker at all. Darian Beavers was sliding on the draft. Leo Chanel went later than I expected. These are guys that we passed up for. So I want to know what is the plan at linebacker? 
Are we going to look at? Are we going to look in the free agency? Guys like Joe Schobert are out there. Guys like Dante Hightower are out there. So that's one of the observations that I took from the draft. I would like for us to take a linebacker. But we did address the cornerback position and the safety position, whether that be later in the draft or things like that. But that also showed me that we still have a lot of faith in our last two draft classes because a guy like Benjamin St. Juice, you know, we uh, we didn't draft the outside corner until the seventh round, right? And, you know, I think that these coaching staff and, you know, the front office are still high on prospects like, you know, a lot of people were talking about we need offensive linemen, but we didn't get one until the seventh round. So we're still high on guys like Samuel Cosme. We're still high on guys like Benjamin St. Juice. Even a guy like De'Ami Brown. While, you know, Jahan Dotson is there and things like that, Jahan Dotson can play in the slot, and he doesn't necessarily give you the redundancy um, and skill set that a guy like Chris Olave would have gave you with a guy like De'Ami Brown. And then, hey, guess what? We're looking out for a guy like De'Ami Brown by pairing him with his college quarterback. De'Ami Brown was one of the league leaders in yards per catch and was one of the more explosive uh, wide receivers in the entire country with Sam Howell in 2020. So hopefully they can rekindle some of that magic with the Washington Commanders. Because a lot of what Chris Olave did at Ohio State in 2021, De'Ami Brown did in at the University of North Carolina in 2020. No matter how... No matter how hard we are at the bleeding BNG, I don't want to fake like I got fake fake um, optimism for um, De'Ami Brown, but the, st- the facts are facts. And De'Ami Brown does not have an excuse this year because you're pairing him with a deep ball thrower that fits his skill set with Carson Wentz. And if Carson flames out, you're going to be pairing him with his college quarterback and his best friend that he called 30 seconds after the draft. So I'm excited. I'm excited. As you see, I got my training camp shirt on because now training camp is the next step. I can't wait till training camp. It's only a couple of months away now. And, you know, hey, Washington did a good job in this draft. We got more physical. We got smarter. We got more mature. That was another thing from the draft. We got a lot of older players, uh, players that spent four, five, six years in college. Uh, I think that had to do with a lot of the nonsense that we've been dealing with in the locker room over the course of, like, last season and things like that, trying to nip that in the bud. But I'm very excited about this draft class, and I hope you guys are too. So in the comments, just let me know how you feel about this draft class. Let me know how you feel about my overall synopsis of the draft class. Let me know if you agree. If you disagree, please let me know that as well. Let me know how you feel. Let me know who was your favorite pick in this draft class because, like I said, I'm excited. I'm excited. I can't tell you if I had to go with a favorite pick. It might be Cole Turner. It might be Cole Turner, but that Sam Howell pick, I, I just did that to not go with the cliche because, honestly, the Sam Howell pick is the best pick of the entire class. This might be the best pick in the entire draft considering the value. Getting a guy that was projected to be the number one quarterback um, just 365 days ago with the 144th pick, and it wasn't like there was major fall-off in in, in play. There wasn't like there was a major fall-off in talent and things like that. That's honestly the biggest steal in the draft, Um, and that turned Washington's draft on on its head for sure. Um, I thought that we started out slow, but we ended very fast. And I, I think the optimism and the prospects for this draft class is very, very promising. So that'll do it for this episode of the Bleeding B&G podcast. If you haven't tuned in, if you haven't tapped in, be sure to follow our social media pages. Our Instagram is at Bleeding B&G. That's B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G-B-N-G. We'll post it on the video. Our Twitter is at Bleeding B&G. The spelling is spelled a tad bit different. That one is B-L-E-E-D-I-N-B-N-G. Be sure to comment. Be sure to like, subscribe. Be sure to chat with us on Twitter. We love to discuss on the, um, on the Washington Commanders talking. 
bringing up new discussions, bringing up new content to discuss on. We have discussion posts. We have new content on our Instagram posted daily. Um, so be sure to check us out over there. As I mentioned earlier, if you're checking us out on YouTube, be sure to comment, be sure to like, be sure to subscribe. We're appreciating all the support we're getting. And, and guess what, guys? Football season is almost here. I can smell the grass now. I can smell the grass now. So thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Bleeding BNG podcast. I'll check in on you guys later. Peace.